Hi there, and welcome to Polyamory Uncensored, a podcast where we, your hosts, Lindsay Miller and Katie Williams, interview a poly person each episode, and we try to answer the five points of journalism. Who, what, when, where, and why, as it pertains to our poly lives. You're listening to episode 45, where we chat with Libby. Stay tuned as we delve into the good, the bad, the ugly, and the just plain complicated truths about our poly lives. All right. So Libby, who are you? <laughs> wow. What a what a direct and um, open-ended question that you've given me there. Um, hi, y'all. So yeah, I'm Libby. She, her pronouns. And I am a relationship coach and educator and mom and podcaster and... Um, I don't know. I also like to swing dance. Um, I've been, I, I've, I started doing that like 20 years ago. <laughs> um, but I guess, I don't know. The first thing I say I am as a mom actually, um, cause that takes up a lot of my time and energy and bandwidth, but, um, gosh, yeah. Who am I? That's such a hard question. I, cause I don't feel like I'm any of those things. Like I'm like, what am I? But yeah, those are the things that I am. What more would you, what more would you like to know about those things? <laughs> Often folks will give kind of their identity labels. Oh uh, yeah. That's good. Okay. Yeah. I can do that. I'm queer. I am polyamorous. Although I don't identify as like uh, with all of polyamory, I guess, like there's a lot of polyamory that I, that I am identify with, but then there are aspects of like the polyamory culture that I'm sort of like, I'm not sure if that really lines up with me, but I'm married. And so I feel like I can't call myself a relationship anarchist because I am participating in state institutions of relationships, (laughs) which I have complicated feelings about. Um, And I've got two kids, they're four and six. So again, mom, big part of my identity. Um, And I'm white. I'm cisgender. I am. Uh, uh, I, I am queer, and I use the word queer, and I should be a little more nuanced about that because um, I have partners of multiple genders, but my relationship with my sexuality is more complicated. I don't say I'm bisexual because that that implies that my the way I even identify how I relate to people is sexual. When my relationship with sex is a whole lot more complicated than that, I, um, like, I don't, like, a lot of people form relationships and they say, oh, this person's my partner, and implied in that is that it's a sexual relationship. And for me, my relationships don't have to be sexual for me to consider someone my partner, and um, and that sex is not the primary um determinant or, or, um, like demarcation of whether a relationship is significant to me or not. Um, and so I don't know if that makes a lot of sense, but I mean, part of that's because I'm on the gray ace ish spectrum. So, uh, that's part of it. Uh, part of it is just that like, in terms of my values, in terms of like, what's really important to me and what makes a person, a person that I want to say, this is my person, this is a person I'm deeply connected to, you know, I, I don't want to say that sex is the most important thing. You know, sex is in one of many activities I can do with someone that I love. And it's funny when I was like in my twenties, uh, and I discovered swing dancing, I was in my early twenties. Um, when I discovered swing dancing, I got really into it and I loved it. And it was just this incredible, I don't know. Do either of you do partner dancing? No. I haven't, but I have a, a lot of friends who are in the the swing dancing community here in Milwaukee. It seems okay. amazing. <laughs> it it I mean so I mean it could be any partner dancing. It doesn't just have to be swing dancing. But there's something about getting on the dance floor, connecting with another human being. No words, you know. It's not like you're talking about what you're going to do before you do it. 
you both know the steps, you're both listening to the same music, and you just start moving your bodies together. And also you're touching each other, you're physically moving each other through space together. And there's something like quasi-spiritual about that almost sometimes. And it's like this deeply connecting, but it's very physical. It's it's emotionally connecting because you're looking at your partner. It's artistic because you're connecting with the music. And I made a comment after I'd gotten really into swing dancing that I thought a really good swing dance was better than sex. And people made fun of me for it. People were like, well, you just haven't had good sex yet. And I'm, I'm, I'm now 40 years old, approaching 41 years old, have had a lot of really good sex. And I would still say that a really good swing dance is as good as and sometimes better than really good sex. It's just like that amazing to me. <laughs> and and so I guess like that's what I mean, like, a, like a, having somebody, and there's so many other things like that that I feel like are on par with really good sex, like a really good juicy conversation or um, going on a trip together that and having some kind of peak experience. I mean, there's just so many things that I consider to be like on par with sex that I don't prioritize my relationships based on that one thing, I guess. So yeah. that was a very long answer. It was really interesting. I mean, if I feel like we're getting to know you, which is, you know, the part that is so great about doing these. Yeah. Um, what drew you to polyamory? And uh, I think that would be great too, if you could tell us a little bit more about you, you sort of alluded to having a complicated relationship with polyamory and aspects yeah. of polyamory. So, you know, this would be a great opportunity to talk about that too. Yeah. Okay. Um, I mean, I think I was always polyamorous. I think that before I knew that there was a word for that, uh, that really made a lot of sense to me. Uh, I mean, I would always just form really deep, close relationships with people and uh, whether they were friends or lovers. And so the idea of holding multiple deep, intense connections with people and having deep commitments with people and wanting to, um, and not having that all feel like a zero sum game, that always made sense to me and it didn't ever really make any sense to me that just because you're having sex with somebody, well, that means you can only have one of those, you know, it, you can have lots of really close friends. You can have lots of, you can, you get more than one parent, you know, if you're lucky, you get more than one sibling. Um, I didn't, I was an only child, but, um, but so it just always made sense to me to have more than one lover. And the thing that, before I knew it was a thing though, I didn't think that it was a thing anybody else would be up for, you know? And so for years I didn't really engage in it because everyone else had agreed that it was the other way around, that it was, you know, if you have one person, you have one person that you are a lover with at least one at a time, you know, <laughs> you have right. more than one lover, but only one at a time. And so, you know, I, I, uh, it took me a while to be courageous enough to say, no, I don't think that if, I think that if somebody isn't up for letting me explore this part of myself, then this person isn't for me. Like I was, I think I was more, it was, it was a higher priority for me for a while to not be alone than for me to say, no, I really need to just lean into this part of my identity and only find people who match it, who can match it. And I think that's the same thing with my queerness actually is, um, I always knew that I was queer, but I similarly, I always felt like, well, I got to pick a side right? It's either, it's either I have to be with this gender or this gender. And if I, you know, and I was like, well, I don't want to not have a partner. I didn't want to be, a, I didn't want to be alone. Although I spent a lot of my twenties unpartnered. So that's kind of funny that that was my calculus. But, um, but at the time I was like, you know, I want to have the best odds of meeting a mate and there are more heterosexual people in the world than uh, gay people in the world. So if I'm going to pick between gay and straight and I can pick and I'll, I'll pick, I'll pick being straight, you know? 
and and it was such a revelation when I was able to be with someone who, uh, which is my, my husband actually, um, who was able to say, yeah, no, I'm up for all of that. <laughs> and then for me to be able to really fully live into who I actually am and express all the different sides of uh, how I relate to people. And it's been an incredible journey to be able to do that with him. Um, and we were not, we were monogamous for like a year <laughs> of our relationship. And we always had been talking about non-monogamy because we had, we had good friends and two of my best friends were non-monogamous. Um, both of them found polyamory at the, at different times all on their own. But then, uh, by the time I met my husband, they were both polyamorous. And so I was like, Oh, okay, cool. So this is a thing. And so it was always part of the conversation with my husband and I, and, um, and actually, that's one reason why I married him was I was like, oh, I can I can date other people and be with you. Cool. Then I'll I'll, I'll hang out with you for a while. <laughs> you know, was kind of the thinking there. So what does polyamory mean to you? I mean, at its, I mean, at its most simple definition, it just means having many loves. Right. Like and I think that's where I identify strongly with it is at its base definition. I think where I sort of deviate from where, where I define it is again, sort of the cultural norms around polyamory. Uh, for instance, I'll give you an example. I don't think that metamors is some kind of magical special relationship. Uh, a lot of people do. A lot of people think, well, you know, my, someone else who is my lover's lover, that that's someone that is automatically part of my poly family. They're part of my poly world, whatever like that. And I more see them not as, because again, I don't elevate someone who is a lover over someone who is a non-sexual person that I'm close to. So from my perspective, uh, a metamore is just a friend of my friend, right? If everybody's my friend, you know, mm -hmm. if, ever, you know, we're all just different kinds of friends, then that person is just a friend of my friend. And I might become close friends with a friend of my friend, right? And they might become my friend also. They might not, you know, and I don't, I don't feel any deep urgency to try to make a relationship happen with one of my friend's friends unless it makes sense. And I feel like there is a lot of urgency within the polyamory community for metamors to be buddies, to have kitchen table polyamory. And I think all that stuff is great. And I, I, I strive to have a lot of interconnectedness in my relationships, but that's almost for convenience sake and also for cohesiveness of feeling like we're all a family. But, um, but I don't think that, but I mean, I feel that way about my friends. Like I want my husband to be close to my friends. I want to be close to his friends. I want to be close to my other partner's friends, you know, that kind of thing. But if it doesn't make sense, it's not like I insist upon it. You know, there are certain friends that my partners have that like, there's no reason for me to be friends with them. So I'm not. And same thing with some of my partners, other partners, you know, it just seems the same to me. Okay. So that's one example of many, but like, you know, how long is your show? Because <laughs> I could just go on. <laughs> we love that part, actually. Um, so what, if anything, do you find difficult about polyamory? Oh, Wow. I don't know. I think that the things that I find difficult about it are the things that I find difficult about life in general, that, that it's, um, you know, there are more things that I want to do than time I have to do them in. Uh, there are only so many commitments I can make before I'm overcommitted. Um, I suppose in the, in the, another thing that's challenging is I've been working very hard. I'm, I'm out, you know, I'm not hiding my polyamory from anybody. And to me, it feels so natural 
and normal and just part of my, like, you know how it is when you like, when you really, really understand something and it's just your part of your normal. And then you realize that there's a whole large group of people that that's not their normal at all. And they're not even, they're not even a fifth of the way there in terms <laughs> of understanding where you're coming from. But like, you can't even remember what it was like to be a fifth of the way there. And so it can be really hard to like talk to someone who just has, they're like, wait, what you do? What? Like, what do you mean? <laughs> and I have to remember to slow way down and, and, and scale way back and uh, break things down a whole lot more, which I mean, I, I, I do as part of my work as well. Like I'm a coach and I, I work with people who are at all different like levels of places in their polyamory journey. Um, so I am able to do that, but like in my own life and talking about myself, sometimes it's just like, wait, this isn't what you do. This doesn't make sense to you that I have like right now I'm living with, um, my husband and one of my other partners, uh, who have moved in with us because of COVID-19 and like, it never even occurred to me to like explain that to anybody, <laughs> like anybody in my neighborhood or, um, I mean, at this time we're not taking the kids to school, but there have been times when, uh, my partner here, uh, we would go to um, like the preschool together and they would help um, like they would help with preschool cleanup day. And it just never occurred to me to like explain to people. Well, I mean, it, 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 was, it was tricky to try to explain to people like who this person is, you know, like, do I want to be like, this is my partner, but how do I explain even what that means? And I don't know, there's just so much extra explaining to do with people who aren't already in that world. Um, and I think that's, that is a challenge for me because I just, kind of want it to be I kind of want it to just be normal and natural for everyone for it to just be obvious so I don't have to explain because I worry about all the assumptions that people are going to make because I think that the assumptions are many I mean we've even tried had a hard time with our with uh, my husband's parents like having them understand it because I don't think I think there are just so many assumptions that they have from like the same thing um uh, that we were talking about, Lindsay, about like being at a sex shop and what you assume a sex shop is like versus what it actually is. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's just like the same kind of thing <laughs> of, um, you know, what people think polyamory is and what it actually looks like and how normal it is. And I can't like, I can't fire an empathy gun at them and have them just <laughs> immediately understand all of my context that I've had years of building up and creating. I think, I think that's probably the biggest challenge is just like, explaining where the heck I'm coming from to people who are so steeped in the dominant culture. So many people like they know uh, cheating. They know that that is firm in their brain and, and like capacities people have either cheated on or been cheated on before. They understand that. And that I think is so normalized that they're more willing to accept cheating than polyamory. They're like, no, no, wait, you're not lying to your partner. <laughs> like, I, yeah, I don't know how I, I can't, that doesn't compute. Yeah. Well, so and also that competitive mindset too, just that whole idea that if you have one thing with one person, then that must mean that someone's losing out, you know, yeah. and just even that whole zero sum scarcity mindset about love that alone, like that, that people can't wrap their head around that either, you know? So yeah, cheating makes much more sense. It's funny. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So next question is, so if there was a particular time, uh, when did you know you were Polly? I think when I found the word. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and do you know where I found the word? You're going to probably laugh. I actually, I don't know. Maybe, maybe, maybe you're, you look like, yeah, you look younger than me, but I'm just going to assume that we're in the same general generation. So I found it on LiveJournal. 
that's where I found oh, nice. out. The I have a journal. Um, <laughs> and um, I was a big live journaler uh, in the late 90s, early, early 2000s. And um, yeah, I was just, I don't remember exactly where I found it in live journal, but when I found it and I read the definition, I was like, oh, yeah, that's great. Who's doing that? Is anybody doing that? <laughs> <laughs> um, that sounds perfect for me. It was really, really funny because I just, I, I knew that that was exactly how I saw things and that perfectly aligned with how I wanted the world to be. When, if ever, did you feel different? Like different than other people? Yeah. <laughs> you did. I mean, you know. I mean, I, I think I always was a bit of an outcast when I was a kid. Um, although there was a time when that felt like a thing that felt bad. And it's funny actually, because when I was a kid also, when I was, there was a time when I was an outcast and I didn't want to be associated with other outcasts. Did anybody else go through that where it's like, no, 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 I'm one of the normal ones. Cause the other outcasts would want to be friends with me. And I would be like, no, I don't want to be friends with you. I want to be friends with them. Right. <laughs> and then, okay. yeah. And so there was a point like much later in my adulthood when I realized, oh no, all the weirdos are my people. And I've been messing this up all along. Like I am, I am. <laughs> So I was like a, I was like a, because I was an outcast as a, you know, preteen and teenager and that kind of thing, but I didn't want to be, um, I couldn't own that part of my identity for a while, I would say. Um, now I don't really even see myself as an outcast, but, um, but I definitely strongly identify with lots of different countercultural things and it feels so nourishing to be part of that now. Like it feels nourishing to be part of the queer community. It feels nourishing to be part of the polyamory community. It feels nourishing to be, I don't know. Uh, it feels nourishing to be gray ace and have that be a thing. I mean, like there's all these different things that just feel really nourishing now to be weird about instead of um, feeling like that sets me apart and makes me lonely. I don't know. Maybe the internet's a big part of that too, because we can all find each other now instead of feeling like you're the only one. I think that's a big thing. I think that's true. Uh, so where are you in your poly journey? Oh, I, I don't know. Like level five? I don't <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> well, and, and our follow-up question is usually, and where do you intend to go? So do you like have any goals or are you kind of like self-actualized poly? <laughs> are you done? Um, life is good as it is. Life is really good as it is right now. Um, you know, my... I mean, you know, my relationship journey is always a journey, right? It's always a process of growing and becoming more of myself and more connected with the people I love and becoming a better version of those things. That's an ongoing process that I think will never really be done. And, but in terms of like my poly journey, I feel really confident and comfortable in who I am and how I show up in relationship. I'm definitely in a place where I'm not seeking any new deep partnerships because I have, um, I have my husband that I live and co-parent with, and we have a really deep, like loving, uh, wonderful marriage and relationship that feels really, really nourishing on so many levels. Uh, I have another partner that my husband is also in a relationship with and they are living with us now. Um, and I use they because they are they, them, that's their pronouns. They are non-binary, uh, non-binary transgender. And I mean, they're really part of our family. We, they've been with me for five years. They've been with my husband for three years. We were in accidental triad. We did not like try to make this happen on any stretch of the imagination. Um, I mean, if you could say the, the thing that I could say that happened was that one day, 
I told both of them, I said, you guys both really like to cuddle while you're sleeping. And I really don't want anybody touching me while I'm sleeping. So how about y'all go and sleep with each other in another room while I go to sleep by myself? And that sounds like it'll be a perfect arrangement for all of us. And, you know, a couple of nights of that and they were making out and finding deep connection with each other. And they were already good friends. And so this just like added an an element of greater depth for their relationship with each other. And I mean, there's probably a whole lot more to their story that I'm not telling. I wouldn't be able to tell perfectly because it's their story. But, um, you know, and and it's it's beautiful. I mean, it's it's actually it all worked out better than I could have possibly dreamed of in a lot of ways because I I love I deeply love Kier I deeply love Drew it's my husband and we're all um you know we get along really well and I mean not that we haven't had bumps in the road because we've definitely had some bumps in the road but um but I think we're in a really beautiful place right now and then I'm I'm also partnered with someone else as well um and his name is Tom and he has four kids and he's married and uh his life is very similar to mine, but also separate from mine. So there, you know, I don't have a close relationship with his wife. Uh, I do have a close relationship with his kids, although I haven't seen them in a while because of the whole virus stuff, which has been, that's been hard for, for all of us, I think. Um, But I mean, I'm close, I'm close with the, with his kids and, we've been together for three years and our relationship is also really, really deep and nourishing in a bunch of different ways. And, um, you know, we both consider each other to be anchor partners to each other. In fact, it's funny because when I first met him, I already felt kind of full. I already felt like I had plenty of relationship stuff going on and I wasn't really looking for anything deep and intense. I was sort of like, ah, I'm, I'm pretty, pretty full. I also was like, I'm definitely not looking for to date any cis dudes. Like that's something I'm definitely not looking for. I had like declared to the universe that I was full on cis dudes and, (laughs) um, (laughs) And then, and then I met Tom and I was like, oh, you're cute. And so I was like, oh, maybe we could like be a casual sex partner to each other. And then I learned that that's actually completely not possible for me. Um, I should have figured that out way before now, but I figured out that's not possible for me. It's either zero or 60. It's (laughs) there's nothing in the middle. And, um, and so we just, and we just fell wildly madly in love with each other. And I was like, okay, well, I have to figure out how to make space for this. And, um, and it's, it's blossomed into this really beautiful relationship, you know, three years in it's, it's not in that NRE phase anymore. It's, it's just this, this just really beautiful anchoring, nourishing relationship that we have with each other where we're close, we're good friends. Um, we're in love with each other. We just celebrated yesterday our, uh, three year, we told each other, we love each other anniversary. That is my children by the background. If you can hear them. (laughs) It's about lunchtime. So, so um, the last questions that we ask before we move on to the sort of thing you wanted to talk about, yeah, um, is uh, first, the first one is why are you poly? Well, the I mean the the thing that I said before is I mean it just makes sense to me. It's just how I how my heart kind of operates. So it, it I remember when I was dating this guy right before I met my husband, and uh, he. I was talking about my best friend and how if she moved to another state or something that I would probably think about moving to go live near her. And he was like, well, you know, if we get married, you wouldn't do something like that. And I was like, well, no, I'd talk about you with that with you. And I'd, I'd, I'd want us to consider doing that. And he was like, well, well, no, when once we're married, then I'm the most important person in your life. And I'm like, 
no. <laughs> I was like, no, I've been friends with her for uh, over a decade and I, I haven't known you that long. Like it was just this, it was this thing where it didn't make any sense to me. And I felt like it, it made so much sense to me to just be like, no, I'm, I'm invested in more than one person. I have more than one, you know, commitment to someone. And again, my best friend and I aren't sexual with each other, but uh, that is definitely a life partnership in many, many ways. So that was one thing. Another thing was, uh, uh, the same part, the same boyfriend that I was dating, uh, he, uh, he got upset with me because I went naked skinny dipping. I went skinny dipping with, of course, skinny dipping's naked. I went skinny dipping though with a bunch of friends and he was, and he was just horrified that I was naked around people of the opposite sex, which, you know, I'm queer. So like, doesn't matter. Um, but, uh, but like, you know, but he was really bothered by the fact that other men specifically were looking at my naked body because he felt like that the only person who had a right to do that now was him. And I was just like, we have to have a talk. <laughs> yeah, no. Um, Not the I, right person for you. Well, and that's really, I mean, that was the moment that sort of crystallized it for me that I was like, this isn't, I can't do this. I can't be with people who look at the world this way. And so I just have to like really lean into the, the, the way that I do look at the world and the way I do look at relationships and find the people who are on the same page. So uh, unlike most of these uh, podcast interviews, I, I end up reaching out to people and asking them to be on the podcast, but you actually reached out to us and sent us a message to be on the podcast. Um, so I usually ask, why did you agree to be interviewed today? But I guess the, the, the flip of that is uh, why did you reach out to be interviewed? Well, I, I've been thinking a lot about what's been going on with this current crisis and the ways that uh, COVID-19 is affecting relationships. And I just have a lot of thoughts about it. And I wanted to offer that to people because I know that it's been impacting my relationships, all of them in pretty profound ways. And it's just kind of, and it's, um, I, you know, I'm a relationship coach. So I have a lot of clients uh, who are also facing this down and looking at how it's impacting them. And I've, I'm looking at my talking to people in my community, talking to people online, you know, reading discussion boards and things like that. And just looking at this cultural moment, this, this global moment that we're in where so many of the things that we relied on that that made our lives what they were are not available to us anymore and i think that that impacts everybody but i think it impacts polyamorous people in a very unique way and i just i really wanted to offer that to pretty much anybody who will listen is pretty much where where you know where i'm where i'm at because i i just think it can be, I mean, I, I think that knowing that it, that not only are you not alone, but that like these things are hard and here are some ways that some people are, are making their way through it, you know, and, and, and thinking about it. And so that's, I think that's the main thing is I just want to be having that conversation. <laughs> um, and also I do have my own podcast and um, where I'm also having that conversation over there. And so I thought it would be nice if your listeners knew about my podcast and my pot, you know, I'm going to talk about that. I was on this podcast on my podcast. So, that, you know, we can connect the grander polyamory podcasting universe to each other. So we all know about what, what we're doing. So that yeah. was part of it. What is your podcast? Oh, I have a podcast called making polyamory work. It is also on anchor.fm and uh, it, but you know that it, then it propagates. You can get it on any of the podcatchers that are out there, including, you know, iTunes, iTunes and Stitcher and all that. Um, and I've, I've, my podcast has been around for about um, 
almost six months, not quite. I just crossed the 25 episode mark a little while ago and, um, it's, um, it's been getting a really good response. And I feel like the community of folks who've been listening to it have really gotten a lot out of it. And I'm really proud of it. I, 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 it was something that I was like, well, let's just see how this goes. And, um, it's been something that I've been a creation that I've been really, really proud of. And, um, you know, people have reached out to me and told me they really love it. So I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. We've gotten a, an amazing response. It's, I, I was, I was kind of baffled. And every time we get like a, an email or a message saying how much people are enjoying it, I'm like, really? That's yeah, so that's weird. So cool. it's, so, it's so cool though. It's, so cool. it's, yeah. it's amazing to, to it. put something out into the world and then have the world say, thank you. That mm-hmm. was great. And you're like, oh, cool. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I thought I was only listening. Like, wow, weird. Okay, cool. Yeah. Yeah. It's not just us and our partners. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, what I found is that when you create something that you really love and that really means a lot to you, that it does resonate with other people, you know, because they feel the love and the, the effort and the in- energy you put into it. And I think that that, I think that's the, the stuff that really hits people. Yeah. is the stuff that you put your heart into and that you really like you deeply invest in. Um, but it is cool. <laughs> you know, you're like, I was doing this for me, but cool that y'all like it too. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. All right. Well, we're going to take a short break and uh, we'll be right back to talk about your topic. All right. And we are back. And today's topic is about unintentional uh, blended poly households due to COVID-19. Um, and when you had given me this as a topic, I really loved it. We, we've obviously in the last, I don't know, probably three episodes, because we do every other week, uh, we have mentioned uh, either being in isolation or quarantine in some way, shape or form, but it hasn't been a main focus. And I do think that it is particularly for poly and, and I think especially for like solo poly f- folks, it's really affecting people in a weird way that mm-hmm. modern, you know, right... Uh, regular media is not covering, uh, and uh, and so I think that it'd be nice to to spend some time on it. So so how has your household been? Well, um, so I'll give you a little rundown about what my household was, which is that my mom lives with us, um, and my my two kids live with us, obviously, and then my my husband, and so we have a house um, in Silver Spring, Maryland, and. We've been living in this particular arrangement since my kids were born. So uh, my oldest is just about to turn seven in August. So um, almost seven years that we've all been living together. And um, so, I mean, in that way, in in that way, in in that way right now with the schools being closed, that's actually somewhat fortunate to have a three, we, you know, up until recently, three adults and two kids because, so, I mean, one of the things that's going on is in our household, you know, the schools are closed. So I work full-time, my husband works, well, actually I kind of, I guess I work part-time, but my husband works full-time. Both of us have jobs that we can do from anywhere. So I guess in that way, we're very fortunate that neither of us is out of work. Um, well, but I, the I understand um, Montgomery County has called it for the year. Your kids are not going back. Is that right? I actually hadn't heard that, but that, <laughs> sounds, that sounds like what we were expecting to hear. Uh, Virginia definitely already called it and said schools were closed through the end of the year. And we were, we were expecting the same thing from Montgomery County for sure. So, yeah, so, you know, we, uh, we've been home with 
the kids. Um, you know, with my mom, she's almost 70. Uh, she's actually turning 70 this year. And we were like, no, you can't leave the house. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, you know, I, the thing about being of the older generation is that that lack of independence and that lack of mobility is really hard, I think, on them. I mean, I think there have been a lot of sort of jokes about, okay, boomer, no, stay home. You know, this funny thing of like, uh, my mom, when I was a kid, was telling me to stay home. And now I'm in the reverse situation of having to tell my mom to stay home. But like, if you're an older person, like your independence is something that's really, really important to you. And, you know, you know that you're more frail, that like your life is um, more, um, there are all different kinds of things that could just randomly claim your life at any given time. So the idea of sort of, you know, locking yourself away is probably really hard for older folks, I think. And, you know, definitely I've had a lot of conversations with my mom about it where she's like, look, I've just got to go to the grocery store. <laughs> I just my, have to My go. parents have been exactly the same way. My, my dad is 80. My mom is 77. And my mom only retired in February. Mm-hmm. And she definitely did not retire with the plan of sitting at home. She retired with the plan of here's all the other things I want to get to do now. Right. And it's, it's, it has really been terrible trying to make my parents stop just getting up and going and doing whatever the heck they feel like doing. Well, cause they know that their life is, their days are numbered. I mean, I can understand that feeling. I mean, all of our days are numbered. The truth is, you know, we don't, none of us knows when we're going to die, but for them, I think it's a lot more present. And so it's sort of like, they want to live their life to the fullest. I, I get it. My mom was going to go to Italy in May. Oh, that's not happening. You know what, but what a heartbreak, right? Like that's a big deal to plan a big trip like that. And, um, you know, that, so there've been a lot of, you know, disappointments that, um, that she's been going through. But, you know, the advantage is that she's um, able to part-time take care of the kids. And so anyway, so that was our arrangement when with when we started. One of my partners, my partner Kier, um, they were working at a restaurant. And that restaurant, you know, decided to close before the D.C. government made them close. But, you know, they didn't have, uh, they, they saw the writing on the wall that they would not be having a job. And it's a very small restaurant. Um, so it's not, and restaurants tend to operate on thin profit margins. So, you know, they didn't know, they, they right now don't know if that restaurant's going to, you know, how, what the state of that restaurant is going to be by the end of all of this. So they don't know how long they're going to be unemployed. And they were living apart from us. And we had had, you know, I've been with them for five years. They're very integrated in our family. They spend Christmas with us. They spend a lot of important family holidays with us. Uh, they're, my kids are very close with them. So there, it was always kind of part of the discussion that maybe someday we'd all live together. But I, I knew that I wasn't ready for that. Um, the, the last time someone became a part of my household that wasn't my husband was my mom. And that was actually a really big adjustment. Like I love my mom and I'm grateful that we live together and that we've made this work. But it was very hard for a while. And I think that there's a the cohabitating under the best of circumstances can be really challenging. Like every added person, there's an added, you know, idea of how a house is supposed to be, how the dishwasher is supposed to be loaded, how soon things are supposed to be cleaned, certain levels of cleanliness and tidiness and all different. There are just so many different flashpoints of conflict that exist in a cohabitating relationship that don't exist when you're not, you know? And so each new person that you add, that can get more complicated. And unfortunately in my household, everyone that, that lives here 
has a lot that they care about. <laughs> like, I think I've definitely lived with roommates in the past where like, they just don't care. Like, okay, fine. You want it this way. I'll do it this way. Or, okay, fine. I don't, you know, I'm not going to, you, you take over whatever that thing is, you know, deal with it however you want. Um, but like everybody here, like my mom is very passionate about things like certain amounts of cleanliness, the way the dishwasher is loaded. My husband's very passionate about certain things as well, like like being able to be alone at certain times and like being able to cook without anybody bothering him. There are certain so there's a lot of different things that people need in my house. So I was very cautious about adding yet another person's need and particularities to the situation. And when the very first week that um the schools were closed, like the minute I was staring that down that the staring down the barrel of that gun of oh gosh the schools are closed um i was also looking at what was going on with Kier and the fact that you know they weren't going to have an income they uh were living in a house with roommates and had a rent that they were going to probably have to pay and and like had no money like they don't they were kind of paycheck to paycheck a little bit and so like in terms of um their financial situation, I was very worried about them. And so, you know, I was thinking about, oh, well, of course we'd want to take them in and have them live with us. And then I was like, oh God, no, the, I'm dealing with having to homeschool children, figure out my new work-life balance, figure out how to keep my mom at home and have that, her not go crazy, figure, you know, all of these different things. I was like, I cannot add a new person living at the house at the same time. I just can't do that. <laughs> I would go crazy and it would be so stressful and I would be a horrible person. And uh, with them. And, and so I was just like overwhelmed and, but we couldn't have them move in right away anyway, because, um, we wanted to make sure that, that they didn't, they, they weren't going to have the virus and bring it to our house. And so like, you know, cause their restaurant closed, but like it closed the Sunday after schools closed. So, um, so they stayed home and just kind of quarantined themselves for two weeks, um, after their restaurant closed. And then, you know, during that time I was able to kind of get all of the the new normal situated in my brain and in my life and in my house. And then I was like, Oh, okay. I definitely, no question there. They have to come live with us because I don't want them to be by themselves. I don't want to be apart from them. And, um, you know, we were able to fix it so that they don't have to pay rent at their, the place they were living. And so they're just, you know, so that, that expense has been a non-issue. And so they're able to come live with us and, you know, but, and it's been great, but I mean, part of the reason why I think it's been great for us is because, again, I have the previous experience of my mom moving in with us and thinking that that was going to be super easy and smooth and it was really, really hard. And so I know every single conversation that I needed to have. And also Kier had had an experience where they were trying to create an intentional household community kind of thing in their group house. And they, uh, you know, really wanted to have things like family meals and um, collaborative resource sharing and all this kind of stuff. And so like they also knew the kind of things they wanted out of um, a household and the kinds of questions that would need to be asked and the kind of boundaries that would need to be set and the things that they cared about and didn't care about. And so we were really able to, you know, have some upfront conversations about, you know, the different kinds of things that they would need to know and we would need to know. And also they'd been over here so much that they knew what they were getting into. <laughs> you know, they knew the dynamic of our household. They knew how the kids worked and how, uh, and how my mom and I relate to one another and how my mom and Drew relate to one another. And so we were able to, we were able to integrate fairly seamlessly, but we still, right now we have, a house meeting every uh we have it twice a week twice a week we have a house meeting to just kind of keep talking about what's going on 
talk about the schedule, childcare schedule with the kids because we're kind of rotating in and out so that everybody can work and everyone can get a break, you know, every, cause, um, a four-year-old and a six-year-old, uh, my two, four, my four-year-old, my six-year-old especially are just very energetic and, um, you know, sometimes they're really great and they can entertain themselves and other times they are at each other's throats and other times they're getting into mischief. And I mean, it's just all over the place. And so, um, you know, there's, there's a lot with them. And, um, so, so, but so it's been, it's been really good, but, and also, you know, we're only, I think we've only been doing it for about two weeks now. So, um, you know, it will, it is an evolve, it's an evolving situation as well. But I would say that, you know, I think that cohabitating is, people think of it as this like thing that is the ideal for a relationship. Like if you really, really love somebody, eventually you want to live together so that you can be together all the time. And in my experience, and I think a lot of solo poly people are, 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 are there on this one as well. It's like, you know, living together doesn't necessarily, isn't the necessarily the pinnacle of love and relationship. Like sometimes the best and most loving thing you can do with someone is say, I will never live with you. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like I will never intermingle myself with you that much because that will ruin everything. <laughs> so I identify as solo poly and yeah. I have been divorced for almost six years. Mm-hmm. Um, and really up until now have always sort of said like, Nope, I don't want another adult in my space. Like my parents have, my kids have all the parents they need. Like we're good. <laughs> you know, I don't want to. Like I, it's great to have more adults care about them, but I, like I don't want to try to blend families. I don't want to do any of those kinds of things. Mm-hmm. And it's actually been fascinating for me to see in the course of this. I'm like the idea of having another adult in the house has more appeal than it has ever had before, (laughs) which is a wild mental shift for me and one that I'm not entirely comfortable with. Right. You know, that's interesting that you say that because I've heard that from some other folks recently. Like I've talked to a few people who have said, you know, um, I've been kind of very independent, very solo, but like when I think about the possibility of being like quarantined away from the outside world, all of a sudden I want the people that I love to be living with me or, you know, because if I have to choose between not seeing them at all or seeing them all the time, Mm -hmm. I might rather see them all the time. Like I, and, and I've had some other people sort of say that they crave, they've been craving like before they've been very wanting to be unentangled and unenmeshed and more detached. And now they're wanting to have a little bit more structure and stability to their relationships Mm -hmm. precisely because of crisis you know yeah I mean all of the people that I am partnered with um, currently are married to other people mm-hmm. and the idea of that level of household blending is it's just not realistic it's not on the table, <laughs> like, kind of grounded reality and that's like I really am I'm not looking for that right but it's interesting to just see my own mental shift even though it's not something that is reality grounded but like okay well maybe in the you know someday future there could be a possibility where this could work where really since I started thinking about getting divorced was like okay well not doing that again (laughs) right 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 well and I can it's difficult because you know because everyone has these fairly enmeshed complex lives like 
the closest I've been able to be to any of these people. One of them is legit long distance, but right. the two that are normally people I can see on a regular basis. Like, okay, one or the other of us has stood on the sidewalk and called up to the porch and we've had some porch conversations when yeah. somebody has dropped something off for somebody else. But other than that, <laughs> and, um, and, you know, we don't have any idea when that might end. Yeah, that's the that's the really hard part, right, is that we don't know what's coming next. Like, we don't know when this part is going to end and we don't know what it's going to be after this because I don't know that it's going to just, like, snap back to normal. Yeah, I, I keep thinking. No, it's not. Yeah. I mean, we it, don't know what it's going to be, but it's not going to snap back to normal. No. And I keep thinking, like, well, when I have to go back to work, which may be in, in May, it may be in June, who knows, then I'm like, in my, you know, in my head, I'm thinking, oh, well, then, then we'll go back to normal because I'll be going back to work. So we'll be going right. back to like normal life. Right. And I'm like, but that's probably the worst time to go back to normal because I'm more exposed to people and I'm, you know, I'm talking to in a kind of close quarters with more mm. people and it's, it's, it, and so are they. And so it'll be more dangerous. And I'm like, oh, I don't know. Maybe, I don't know. <laughs> it's not, I right. hope it's not going to be a year, but like, who knows at this point? Who knows? Well, and it's funny, Katie, how you're saying that your partners that, that you would normally get to see really regularly, now you you the way you get to see them has changed so radically because I've been thinking about that with my partner who I'm not nested with, right? The person that I wasn't able to say, hey, come live in my house with me because similar to your partner, uh, he's married and he has four kids. There's, <laughs> I can't, I even if that was available, even if that was something that they would be up for, I can't just, I don't have the space for that right. many people. Like, right, who would? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean, I mean, you know, there are all kinds of ways in which we could all learn to be quite, quite flexible and make something like that work in a, in a super crisis. But like, no, in general, no, that would be very unmanageable for everyone. But I was realizing, and I had, I went through a significant amount of kind of grief about it. I was realizing that my relationship with him exists so much outside of the domestic sphere, right? It exists in the outside world. Like we would go out and do things together. We would go out to community events and be a couple there. And like, it's not that they didn't, that our relationship didn't also exist in our household because, you know, he's, he would be over here a lot and he would, he was close with my kids again. We would, but, but again, even when, when we were doing blended family things, we were mostly doing things out together. You know, we'd go out to a, a family event and bring all of our kids or we'd, or I'd have them all over for dinner at my house. You know, that would happen too. But now we don't have that kind of stuff available to us as a way of acknowledging that our relationship even exists. And it's extremely important to me, this relationship. Like, it's extremely important to me. I, again, I would consider Tom one of my anchor partners. And yet... I'm not anchored to him in so many ways right now. And it's been really heartbreaking to lack that. I mean, we still talk regularly and we still offer each other a tremendous amount of emotional support. And, you know, we try to connect where we can, but he's home full time. He's a full time stay at home dad with his four kids. Like, you oh. know, and he's got four and his wife works full-time uh, and she runs her own business and right now is a really tough time to be a business owner. So 
you know, she's, she's working her butt off to try to keep her business afloat and keep her employees paid and make sure everything's going well. And, you know, so everyone's working really hard over there. And so like, even just the amount of available time, I mean, if you're a parent right now in this situation and you are with your kids 24 seven, maybe also trying to work a job, like just the, the amount of emotional, mental, physical bandwidth that you have at the end of the day is different. Like yeah. even if we could go out on dates afterwards, I don't know that any of us would be, would have any energy to do that because we're so used to having a much broader support system for what we're, for the life we're living, you know? And, and that's, I wrote a post about it for, um, in a discussion group where I was just kind of saying, you know, if you are a person who is partnered with someone who has kids at home right now, especially God forbid, if they're a single parent and they've got their kids at home and they're working, uh, you, you, there's no way that that relationship right now is going to be anything close to 50, 50. They may not even have the energy to remember their own name, let alone yours, let alone text you. And it's not because they don't love you. It's not because they don't care about you. It's just that they're up to their eyeballs right now. Mm -hmm. And, and, and at the same time, like, I'm not trying to be unsympathetic to the people who don't have that situation and instead are stuck at home alone. Cause I think that's equally punishing and heartbreaking and crazy making in a totally different way. Um, but I just, in terms of like the, it's like, there's this, there are some people who have a great emptiness and then there are other people who have this overwhelming fullness in their life right now. Yeah. And, uh, it's, it, I do, I do think it radically changes how things work. Like I literally said, I think that if you're in a partnership and you're not, you don't have children and you're not home with them all day, uh, and instead you are living with, even if you're living with a partner, but if, especially if you're not, you have 10,000 times more bandwidth than they do right now. So there's no way it can be like a 50, 50 relationship, you know, in terms of just the level of commitment and time and energy available. And that stinks because if you're a person who like needs a lot of reassurance and care and outreach to feel safe in your relationship, and that person just doesn't have that to give right now, it's got to be really heartbreaking. You know, I really appreciate your framing there. Because one of the things that has taken me a little bit by surprise over the last few weeks is um, the changes to my normally long distance relationship. Mm -hmm. Because um, we typically, over the last year, have spent a lot of time um, writing in shared Google Docs. Mm -hmm. And what we often do is we'll both be online kind of right after the kids go to bed for an hour or so, just writing back and forth in these shared Google Docs. And my bandwidth for that has dropped off and not, it hasn't gone away, but it's definitely diminished. And I think that's also true for him and, you know, things ebb and flow and I was not worried about it, but it's something that I'd sort of noticed. And I yeah. think thinking about all of the intensified demands and reduced social supports right or especially our kids that it makes a lot of sense that mm -hmm. you know we're still there for each other but we're there for each other a little bit more thinly than we are used to right well in, in that case like does your long distance partner also have kids and have that yeah. all going on yeah. them too okay yeah, yeah. then so uh, yeah it's like have, neither of you have, have a 14 year old the... and an eight-year-old oh wow uh, mm -hmm. and so they are in that more intense, you know, especially, I mean, 
I, my heart goes out to the two of you and to any of us who are, any of you who are listening, who have kids who are still in that pre-adolescent, you know, time when it's, it's just so physically demanding all the time and they can't really go off and entertain themselves for very long. I mean, sometimes they can, sometimes they do, but you can't count on it and it's not going to be that long. And boy, I, I would be losing my marbles uh, 10 times worse. Right. (laughs) Yeah. I was just talking to my husband about like the, the motivation, like I have so much more time to do stuff, but the motivation is not there. And even just like, um, I've been sewing masks for the hospitals and Mm -hmm. over the past month, uh, I've made like, I want to say, I don't know, 15 to 20 masks, let's say. And, and I was just looking at this huge stack of fabric in my living room. And I was like, if I was still working every day, that, that stack would be done. I, I would wow, come home wow. and I would sew a couple every night before bed or I would get up early and I would sew a couple. And I don't know why that is. I have so much more time, but I don't want to do anything, you know? And I think it's just like, it's everything. It's it's having a, a, a toddler around. It's it's all of the news and all like scrolling through Facebook has just become so incredibly toxic. You know, it's just, like, yes. and, I'll, I, and I, I notice it when I'm doing it and I'll try to put it down and be like, no, don't just read bad news all day. It's a, it's a horrible spiral, but it gets to you. And it's just like, uh, you don't want to do anything. You don't want to be productive. You don't want to do the dishes. You, you just want to like veg and do nothing. And yeah, it's, it's, well, you it's know, weird. You know, it's funny what you say there, Lindsay, like the, um, I think for a lot of people, their working day, like, have you ever heard the, like the rock theory? Like if you put like, like if you think about your time, And you think about like your time as being this big vase and you can fill it with different things and uh, to fill up your time. And that there's the, the rock theory is that you put like some big rocks in first that are the things that you anchor your day around. And then you fill in all the rest of the things that happen around those big things. And for a lot of people, I think their big thing was work right? Mm-hmm. Their big thing was their job because that's the thing that has to start at a certain time. and has to end at a certain time. And even if you weren't like, even if like I work from home, the big rocks for me were start of school, end of school, you know, because those were the times that I knew I could work would be when my kids were at school. And so having these things that we consistently have to show up for at certain times, those allow us to have a structure to our day that then we know when we're going to fit everything else in. And we are able to mark time too by events that we do and events that we go to when we don't have any of that. Like I can imagine, it makes total sense to me that then it's just this, all this flow with no structure and no clear thing to demarcate. Okay. This is when I'm on, this is when I'm off. And also like three-year-olds are really tough. I, they are the toughest, not the toughest. I don't know that they're all ages are tough in different ways, but (laughs) three is is pretty hard, man. I remember, (laughs) oh man, three is, three is a tough age. Suddenly it's easy at four or five, but three, I think was the peak most difficult. Well, cause they're, they're very demanding at that age. They're very defiant. They're playing with power and, and also they're not, capable of having an interesting conversation with you yet. Like my four-year-old and I, we can have some really wild and interesting conversations <laughs> that I don't think he could have had when he was three. Um, but, uh, but it's, it's F-H and, and it's, and like, like, um, Katie was saying, it's constant. 
you know, it's constant. Like mm-hmm. they cannot be trusted at all. Yeah, yeah. You definitely <laughs> well, I don't have know if you ever out. encountered the book Your Three Year Old Friend or Enemy. Don't read. <laughs> Everything you need to know is in the title. But we were so freaked out when my oldest child was three. That we're like, like, is there something wrong with him? Like, what? Like, it's so oh, yeah. difficult. They're little sociopaths. And the upshot of the book was get a babysitter as much as you can because you are the person who's listed, whose limits they're trying to test. Well, that was no help for me then because we didn't have any money and it's clearly no help for anybody now. Yeah. So. No, we're staying away from everyone. Uh, My husband has lung issues. So we're even isolated from grandparents and normal babysitters. And that is really tough because so I am not working. Obviously the, the store that I work at is closed for the moment, but uh, my husband is still working from home remotely doing like IT work. And so he has closed himself off in a, in a basement um, office space. And so I am with our daughter all day long, you know, nine to five minimum. And then, and it's just like, wow, I, I didn't realize how much I valued in adult interaction while I was at work or just like being able to drop her off at the grandparents' house on a Saturday night to go and hang out with friends. Like, oh my God, I'm going to cherish it so much more when I'll be able to do it again. <laughs> you know? Yeah, it's it's so hard. It's so it. I mean, and 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 it it drains you down. And then on top of that, I mean, I just want to highlight that the other thing that drags everyone down right now is that everything is scary. Like everything is scary. You look at the news, it's scary. You think about the future, you can't even think about it because you don't know what's going to happen, you know? And if you think about it too long, you might just start to feel heartbroken about all the things that might never come back to you or might come back to you in two years, which just feels like a really long time, right? So I think that it's important to say that when that happens, that raises your stress level, raises your cortisol, raises your adrenaline, like really just, and that taps you down, you know, that, that you can get... I mean, I've noticed that my, I'm more forgetful than I used to be during, like right now, my brain is more foggy. Um, Sometimes I make these erratic decisions. Like I was at the store. I mean, when you go to the store, I like, sometimes I have a grocery list, which is really important. Have a grocery list when you go to the grocery store, otherwise you'll buy everything. And then you'll be one of those people. (laughs) Everything, but no actual meals. Like, right. right. You're like, I'm going to buy five bottles of coconut water. Why? (laughs) Why do you need that? Uh, It's it's reasonable. Like, I think don't be hard. I mean, to anybody who's listening, don't be hard on yourself if you're not capable of making your best decisions right now at a time when there are a lot of hard decisions to be made because you're under chronic stress and chronic stress wears at your mental and physical um, capabilities. Like one of my partners was telling me, you know, I'm really, really tired. I've been really, really fatigued for days and I'm worried that I'm getting sick and I'm scared that I have the coronavirus, even though I've been super careful and haven't been anywhere and have been quarantined for, you know, have been like, have no social interactions with anybody for weeks, except for my people in my house. And I was like, I don't think you're sick. I think you're exhausted and mentally and emotionally exhausted. And like the anxiety is getting to you. And I think like what you, what probably is needed is like just to, close yourself in a dark room and not look at the news and, 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 you know, and like all the different kinds of like, quote unquote, self-care things that we can do. But again, if you're depending on what your life situation is, that may just not be available to you. 
Like, I can't even imagine what it's like if you're working in healthcare right now, or if you're one of the quote unquote essential workers that has to, you know, show up working in a grocery store or a gas station or, um, all of these different service jobs that continue to push through, like, so you're literally putting your life on the line and your health on the line and you have to come home and experience like the uncertainty and, and the social distancing and all of that stuff on top of it. I can't, it's just, it's gotta be so hard. And so if you're, if your brain isn't working as well, if you don't have as much vim and vigor, if you're not maintaining your workout schedule, whatever it is that you're not doing that you would normally do, <laughs> it's like probably because of stress and that's normal. And you can forgive yourself for it. I think, you know, it's so hard. And I think actually an important piece to add to that is for parents of kids who are not in school where they would normally be in school. The demands right now are just ridiculous. Mm-hmm. You know, we're supposed to somehow magically become homeschoolers. Like right. that's not, that was never my plan. It's never something I prepared for. It's never something I wanted. And I'm not going to beat myself up over the fact that I suck at it. <laughs> right. Right. That's reality. And that's not going to ruin my children's lives. It's not going to ruin your children's lives. Like any future decision maker that is evaluating our kids in any capacity involving their performance at this moment in time is going to understand that the whole world was going through a traumatic event. Yeah. And this is not a time where you can accurately predict the future based on how people are doing right now. Yeah. Uh, And I really feel so much compassion for our teachers who yeah. are under all this pressure to try to do something to, you know, stay, you know, suddenly you're all teaching online instead of teaching in a classroom and you're supposed to be making sure that your children are learning. Like, I'm sorry. I know, like for those of you who can or who are super planners, who are, you know, taking comfort in that structure for yourselves, more power to you, but yeah. I'm not going to make my kids, you know, do all the things, you know, I'm going to try to make them at least like, let's check in on what's going on in school. Those days, like it should be part of our routine because it's helpful to have a routine and to reconnect with some of the things that are normal in your life. Yeah. But I am not going to put pressure on you about how well you do or don't do, or, you know, any of those kinds of things. Like, we're certainly not going to try to spend six hours a day doing that. Oh, no, no, <laughs> like, I don't, I don't if think we you spend an to. hour to two hours a day. That is yeah. a big amount of time. That's super productive. Yeah. Um, even if it's not super productive time. Um, yeah. I don't gonna spend my whole day fighting it. with you about it either. Yeah. I don't think you need to do, I think that I hope parents are not doing six hours of school with their kids, um, or trying to do that. I think that's ridiculous. Um, in our house, I mean, it's worth, maybe it's worth saying like in our house, what, because we do have four adults and two kids, which is a blessing. Um, so nobody is getting run ragged right now. I don't think, although there's definitely no shortage of things that need to be done. Um, we, we have a, we have a schedule, but it's not a schedule schedule like, you know, we're doing social studies at 9 a.m. and math at 10 a.m. and that kind of thing. It's more like, um, I mean, my kids are small, so I also don't feel a lot of pressure to like, 
educate them a whole lot because they're sort of sponges anyway. Like they watched this TV show today called Blaze Monster Trucks. And they had a, in the show, they explained how clouds are formed through rain droplets. And, uh, and I'm like, cool, they're learning done. (laughs) (laughs) Science done. They had had another, um, there was one of the episodes of this show that they watched. It was like they, they, my, my younger child learned about traction and he actually explained to me and demonstrated that he understood the concept. Cause he's like, mom, I'm wearing socks right now. I'm sliding all around the floor. And that's cause I don't have traction. And I was like, well, how could you have traction? He's like, I could take my socks off and then my skin uh, against the floor would give me traction. That's what makes you able to like grip the floor. And I was like, great. You learned that from where? Blaze (laughs) Monsters, mom. And I'm like, great. (laughs) Um, You know, yeah. I mean, I don't put any pressure on myself to like, to, to quote unquote, like, you know, reproduce school at home. I just don't think that makes a lot of sense. The thing that I'm heartbroken about my kids not getting is the same thing that's hard for adults, I think, which is they're not getting social time. They're not getting to see their friends. You know, they're stuck with the same faces day in, day out. And, um, but I mean, I, I think that if I was going to tell anybody what to do during this time, honestly, the thing that I would tell people to do is try to find as many ways to make right now enjoyable as possible. Because right now, you know, there's a lot of self-sacrifice going on. And I think that it's important to, acknowledge that that's sort of the ethic that we're being thrown, right? It's that we need to stay home. We need to sacrifice the things that we would rather be doing so that we can protect the public health. And I think that's very noble and that's very important. And that's, and that's a, that's a good framework to have is that we're, we're taking one for the team right now. This is, this is for the collective good for us to all stay home. And yet I don't want people to go so far into that mindset that they 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 believe that this is a time of austerity and that there's no place for joy and there's no place for pleasure and there's no place for making this not miserable, you know? And so I, I would tell anybody who's listening, like, wherever you can, find the pleasure, find the joy, find the connection. Um, because, and, and I mean, I think for polyamorous folks, we tend to, I think, and you can tell me if you think I'm wrong here, but I think we tend to be optimizers. You know, we tend to want to do everything right. You know, we like to read our books about how to do our relationships. We try to make good agreements. We try to create good structures for our relationships. And I think sometimes we can put a lot of pressure on ourselves to have very high standards for everything we're doing. And I think this is a time, Katie, you said it so well, like this is a time for a lot of self-compassion and to like not let everything go, but like, like just really do your best and ask for what you need. And if you're not, if you're, you know, if your partner, if you're a partner who um, can't, just doesn't have as much bandwidth as you would have, you would otherwise, like that's okay. You don't have to feel guilty about that. You can just say, hey, like I'm up to my eyeballs right now and children and life and work and, and also, or just like this is all exhausting me and wearing me down. And if you're a person who has a lot of extra room and a lot of extra to give and it's not wearing you down, then like try, don't worry about the 50-50 right now. <laughs> just maybe give where you can, you know? And again, that's where I say, give where you can, don't self-sacrifice more than you need to. You know, we're all working so hard and trying so hard. And if we're self-sacrificing on top of self-sacrificing, you know, we don't want to emerge from all of this any more wrecked than we need to be, you know? 
And so I've been really trying to do that, you know, so like, you know, again, I'm like, great. Uh, my kids are learning and watching TV. That's great. But then, then TV's okay. Like a little more screen time's okay. I'm not going to put a lot of pressure on myself around that. Um, and you know, I, I'm not beating myself up about the fact that, um, I can't always be super mom for, to your point, Lindsay, about just like, sometimes I'm just tired and <laughs> I just, I just, and I feel down because I'm scared about the future and I just have to sort of be with where I am and not feel bad about it. So where so, can people find you? Yeah. What is your, uh, if you want to promote your podcast once more. Oh, thanks. Um, so yeah, it, my podcast is called making polyamory work. Um, the way that people, the way that I describe it is that it's, it's, it's kind of a deep dive into what makes relationships work. So I go into sort of the anatomy of relationship skills, relationship mindset. And I, I have, what I, what the work is, is to take a lot of very mainstream, uh, relationship advice from a lot of mainstream writers and thinkers like Esther Perel and John Gottman and, uh, Terry real and they, but, but bring a polyamorous, uh, focus to them. Um, and the episodes tend to be on the shorter end. My episodes are, uh, just me talking for the most part, although I'm thinking about bringing in some interviews, um, over the next few months. So they're short, they're about half an hour to 20 minutes to somewhere around there. And my goal with it has always been that I think that what makes a relationship work is what makes a relationship work at the end of the day. And sometimes polyamorous people get so caught up in like the difference between rules and agreements and the difference between jealousy and envy and really focusing in on like how to structure their relationships. Right. And not necessarily thinking about how to handle conflict, how to have uh, healthy boundaries, how to, um, how to manage your stress responses so that you're not always, you know, triggering each other, things like that, that I think are things that I don't see showing up in, um, a lot of polyamory relationship literature, but that I think people need to know too. And so that's the, that was sort of my goal with creating it was just to offer people that stuff. And so, you know, the response that I've gotten has been, this is great for my polyamorous relationships and all my other relationships too. And, um, so, you know, I, I, definitely welcome people to check it out and also to reach out to me and let me know what you think. And if there's anything that people want me to talk about on my show, I really welcome feedback and questions and things like that. Very right. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. It was really uh, an interesting conversation and a pleasure getting to know you. Yeah, same. Thank you guys for having me. Well, you guys are great. I love your show. Thank you. Take care, everybody. And that is it from us at Polyamory Uncensored. We have been Lindsay Miller and Katie Williams. We'd like to thank podcast husband Rob for being our sound engineer. And thank you, Lindsay, for editing this podcast so that we sound smart. You can follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Polyamory Uncensored. Contact us at polyamoryuncensored at gmail.com if you have a listener question or a comment. And if you'd like to support us at all, you can send us a monthly contribution at anchor.fm slash polyamoryuncensored and simply click on the support this podcast button. If you'd like to support the podcast with a one-time contribution, we've set up a PayPal link to make it super easy. Thank you for your support in any amount at paypal.me slash polyamoryuncensored. We hope you've enjoyed this episode and remember, we love you. Bye. Bye.